and welcome to episode 49 of Universal Adapter. This is the show where two Brits, one who stayed put, that's me, and one who got out, that's me, discuss the relative merits of our current home countries. Each week we'll pick a new topic and discuss who has it better. Excellent. So you have found us in a glorious sunny day. Um, we've jumped straight to summer here in Canada. It, it, I didn't wear a coat out the other night. It's mental. What? Um, I also what? didn't wear a coat yesterday, but that's only because I left it at work by accident. Oh. It says less that's... about the the sunny weather and more about me as a person. <laughs> oh. And how have you been, Matthew, apart from chilly on your walk home? I've been doing all right. You might be able to hear it in my voice, but I have not been the wellest of people, perhaps due in part to the leaving of the coat behind at work <laughs> debacle. But other than that, things have been going fairly swimmingly. Nothing new, really, that I can think of. I mean, it was my birthday last week, but other than that, oh, no, yeah. this week. No, Happy last week. Birthday. I forgot about that. <laughs> And a couple of people ask, oh, so how old does this make you? And I had to literally stop and work it out. Like, well, I was born in 1993. So that's, <laughs> and then seven plus seven, and it's 2019. So yeah, that was a little bit embarrassing as well. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten to that stage as well, where I'm now like, I sort of struggle to remember. Or when I see other people's birthdays, I'm like, Oh, they must be very young. And then I meet them. Yeah, people who never saw the millennium are at university. I know. Isn't it awful? It's awful. Atrocious. Um, <laughs> How dare How dare time do this to us? I know, it's so rude. Everyone else was supposed to get older and I was supposed to stay very, very young forever. <laughs> In my head, I don't think I've gone past 20. I think I'm exactly the same person. No, that's not true. I'd say maturity-wise, I'm the same person. <laughs> Probably less, actually. I feel like I rebel against silly rules more now than I ever did mm -hmm. before. Like eating cake for breakfast. Because I'm like, well, I'm a grown-up. I can. Never did that when yeah. I was 20. <laughs> I think that sets... That sounds like that's setting you up for a good mindset. My children are like, Mum, you can't eat that, so you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> You're not my mother. <laughs> Fantastic. And how, Sarah, has your Canadian week been? It's been very good. I've been um, showing a friend from school around, so that was fun. I went on a little exploration trip to Galliano Island, which has now become one of my favourite islands on the planet. It is Ooh. just gorgeous. Very nice views, very nice people. I went to a fun pub. It was great. I had a lovely time. <laughs> what is it, what is there to see on Galliano Island? Oh, there's lots of nice little nice little walks. Actually, we had quite a lot of nature thrust our way. Um, so we saw a seal, which is quite <gasps> exciting. We saw a bald eagle, a turkey vulture, saw an otter, and we saw an osprey. What? Just. Dip back for a second there. What what's a turkey a turkey vulture? It's it's a but it's a vulture. I don't know what makes it a turkey vulture. Uh huh. Is it nice but to? But we eat? saw it circling, and I noticed it didn't have any feathers on its head. So I was like, well, it must be a vulture. So we just googled vultures BC and came back with turkey vulture, and it was was the one we saw. Wow, amazing that a vulture doesn't have any feathers on its head. And yet, the bald eagle does. I know. 
Well, you know, do you know why vultures don't have any feathers on their heads? To make it easier to eat carrion. Yeah, essentially, it's because they're constantly Ooh. sticking their heads into things. So if you don't have any feathers on it, it stays cleaner. Uh, but yeah, that always just, that really bothered me as a child. I remember we went to America. And I remember those like bald eagles, and I was like, "But they literally aren't bald. I don't understand." And I got very upset about the whole thing. Maybe they're all wearing wigs. <laughs> the um, that is the North American toupee eagle. <laughs> don't mention it. Don't mention it. How does it stay on while they're flying? That's what I want to know. Very good glue. <laughs> yeah, so I had a very nature-filled week, which was just fantastic. It was very, very good. I enjoyed fantastic. it a lot. Fantastic. I feel like you should have some sort of, like, Canadian wildlife bingo. Yeah, maybe I should. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I've ticked off quite a few. I still need to get an elk mm-hmm. uh, and a moose and a grizzly. I would really like to see all three of those. Um, You've seen a... Have you seen a beaver? Oh, beaver. Yeah, no, I haven't seen a beaver. I'd like to see a beaver. Okay. But you have seen ge- a goose. I've seen goose. I've seen a black bear. Ooh. Oh, I'd really like to see a wolf. That would be incredible. Apparently they're quite, yeah, quite terrifying to go... Well, even not face-to-face with I know people who've seen them from a distance, and they're still quite chilling. I can um, imagine. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to get any closer than that. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I'm slowly slowly collecting them all. I mean, there's probably, like, lots of other very interesting smaller animals that I just mm-hmm. don't know of. But, um, yeah, I feel, like I, I feel like I'm doing okay. Have you seen a maple tree? You must I've have seen, seen one. Yeah, I've seen quite a few maple trees. Do they count as wildlife? I mean, they're definitely in the flora and fauna uh, bracket. I don't know. I don't really know if wildlife is only applied to animals because they are still alive and in the wild. In terms of being like, if I went on a a wildlife safari and all I got shown was a lot of trees, I might be a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Not like an experience to get like up and cl- up close and personal with the <laughs> native wildlife, and you just climb a tree. <laughs> anyway, this yes. is all very far away from what we're meant to be talking about. But yeah, what's our topic for this week? Our topic this week is second cities. So I have taken the UK's second city, or at least England's second city, which is Birmingham, which is handy because it's also where I live. Well, we've both lived there. And Sarah, where exactly are you going to be talking about today? Okay, so luckily I did interpret the question correctly, because when I first heard it, I was like, I'm sure this just means the second biggest city, but then I suddenly doubted myself after I'd done all the research. But Thankfully. I think that that is true like. in the case of Birmingham, but it's also a official or semi-official designation as well. Oh, I see. Okay, maybe that's why I was getting myself confused. Well, I don't know if this is an official or an unofficial designation, mm-hmm. but either way, I'm going to be talking about the lovely, charming city of Montreal. Ooh. Yeah, which I didn't expect to be the second biggest. I don't know what I thought would be. I think I thought it would be Vancouver, but um, but no, Montreal just uh, put it to the post. St- stu- stupid question time. Toronto, capital? No. No. Toronto's the biggest city. <laughs> Ottawa is the capital. Right. Montreal is in that ballpark. Um, <laughs> in roughly the same area of the country, you know, on a Canadian scale. So that's in Quebec. So it's a French-speaking bit of Canada. Okay. Any further clarification on Montreal? <laughs> Um, no, I don't think so. I think that that's all I needed to know about Montreal. But I'm going to find out some more things anyway. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a very short episode if that's all you <laughs> wanted. Well, we could step on to a hotly debated topic. I'm sure this is going to turn out to be. And I'm, I'm quite excited actually to find out about this about Birmingham. So mm-hmm. when 
was the great city of Birmingham founded? Okay, so history's hard, and cities don't just pop into being when somebody's deci- somebody decides, like, cool, we'll put the ball ring here and the canals here and everything will be great. So you're right, yeah. it is sort of contested. I know, I like this, it's very fluid. There was a hand axe that was discovered in the 1800s, which dates from 500,000 years ago. And this hand axe is evidence of human habitation. So we could say BC 499,998 minutes. How do you measure the age of Birmingham? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not going to try and make that argument. The name Birmingham is an Anglo-Saxon one, meaning uh, Beorma's people. And the name of a settlement, or rather a settlement named Birmingham, probably dates back to somewhere in the 7th century. But I'm going to, be, I'm going to pick uh, 1166, which is the date when Birmingham became a market town. A few years earlier, it was, or probably several decades earlier, it shows up in the Doomsday Book as basically just well, a manor house in the in the Midlands. So there was one big posh house and, you know, a few scattered holdings around. I, see, this is a word I hear banded around a lot, but what exactly is the Doomsday Book? Do you know? It's a big book that the king of the time, whose name I've forgotten, was basically like, I'm the king of all of this stuff how much stuff exactly is that and then basically went around and basically it's it's a big old spreadsheet (laughs) which included the names and relative values of all settlements around birmingham not around birmingham around the uk oh wow so that there could be a proper catalog of just how much the crown owned oh Okay, interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, it shows up in there as a, essentially a glorified house. But then it's 1166 when it becomes more akin to what we know as Birmingham today, when people would have travelled to it and traded and such. Fascinating. So very long, very varied history. I don't have a day or a month. So if you found the same year, then we are in a complicated situation but 1166 1166 okay so a while uh well i took a similar tact with montreal as in that i mean places are places it's a you can spend ages debating what place means people do and they Mm -hmm. get paid money for it so montreal is technically an island which Mm -hmm. many 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 moons ago, was covered by the Champlain Sea, which was an inland sea. And about 12,000 years ago, the waters started to recede. And finally, about 6,000 years ago, it became fully exposed as the island you are today. So on a geographical sense, <laughs> could argue it's been around quite a while. So I could go 6,000 years, uh, but that seemed a little bit cheeky. So then I revised this estimate uh, along a similar lines to your hand axe, actually. They found a couple of spearheads on archaeological digs in the area, which indicate there was human presence there uh, 4,000 to 5,000 years ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. But they also agreed that they could have just been passing through, you know, they were probably very early settlers, 
to that new continent. They had lots of things to see. They weren't in the mood for sticking around at that point. Um, <laughs> until about 700 years ago. So I... So I'm already, yeah, I'm already behind you here. But um, <laughs> in about 1300, some of these people decided to stop and actually make a little little town. And they made a fortified village, um, which I may be pronouncing wrong, so I do apologize for that. Hotchalaga mm-hmm. is the name of the town. And it was home to about 1,000 to 2,000 people. Uh, and it consisted of roughly 50 long houses. And there was lots of evidence to suggest the surrounding fields were used for farming. Uh, like squashes and corn and things like that. So it's been a town of sorts since 1300 <laughs> AD. But a lot of this is only written down just by Western explorers mm-hmm. who traipsed through and have just noted down what they happened to see along the time. Because there's a bit of a gap. And then the next time we hear about this place, it is 1541. And by this point, it's become known as uh, Tutanagai. And only 40-ish years later, by 1603, there isn't any... There's nothing there, apparently. It's been completely abandoned. There's no people. No no evidence of this seemingly actually quite well set up village that lasted there for a few hundred years. Oh, no. And then... So, so by the time Montreal officially was created, uh, the date they would peg that at is actually 1642. Which, even though that sounds like a very young sprightly, <laughs> very young and sprightly compared to Birmingham, is actually one of like the older settlements in Canada, and lots of French Canadians will very proudly tell you how it is older than most of the British settlements in Canada, and I've been told by quite a lot of them. As soon as that's when it officially became known as Montreal, mm-hmm. I guess technically we'd have to take that as the date, although I feel like there's a lot of evidence to suggest earlier. <laughs> so it was with the French colonists that it was first established yes yeah so there was um like everything apparently in those days it was a big fur trading (laughs) colony Uh um yeah but it's it's a french canadian and it always always has been um and they'd probably like to say always will be so i see so does the name montreal and apologies if you haven't learned this does it mean anything does it have any significance there's a big hill essentially at the center of this island which they called mount royal Mount Royal, Montreal. You can sort of see how they got there. Okay, yeah. That's not a a great leap of imagination, but <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's one of the first settlements, they didn't need to be imaginative with the name. At least yeah, they were exactly. at least they didn't show up and they weren't like, Oh, new Paris. Yeah. Or Nouveau Paris. A little bit creative. <laughs> Nouveau Paris. <laughs> Uh, that sounds like it'd be some sort of dystopian future at a really, really <laughs> hipster version of Paris. <laughs> Where everyone's sort of more arrogant than they're stereotypically known to be. <laughs> um, yeah, essentially. It was just where the French sort of settled and could... F- so, I'm assuming we're mm-hmm. taking Oldest as the winner. Yes. No, so, well done, Birmingham, with your um your very long-standing history. Yeah, I mean, Birmingham's, Birmingham's been looking around for ages. Fingers crossed, it's going to be here for a little while. Yeah, well, it's the highest altitude city in the UK. Oh, gosh, so at, at some point we will all be living in Birmingham. Yeah, so you've really... From you're the just, rising sea levels. You're just ahead of the curve, Matt. I always told you, you were very progressive. So, Montreal may have started as an island, but Birmingham will certainly end... <laughs> <laughs> as a city <laughs> on an island. <laughs> and on that oh so pleasant note, 
Uh, shall we nip onto our next topic, which is to work out the population of a city. And given what you've just said about about global warming, for population, we want to be looking at the lowest rather than the highest. But <laughs> again, I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go for the big numbers. I think we I think we're gonna have to as well. But also, it's quite interesting to debate how big a city actually is because it's yeah, it's very hard to tell. They do kind of bleed into each other, especially if they're big ones. Mm. So I have found I found two two numbers varying scales. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just see we'll just see what happens. So the UN, United Nations decided mm-hmm. that the population of Montreal was 1.7 million. I also found one from World Population Review, which sounds like a much less creditable source, but I didn't have time to research them properly, so I apologise if that's a real slanderous thing to say. <laughs> they came up with 4 million. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. I don't know where they found an extra 2.3 million people from. I mean, is there a difference in the years that they were taken? But still, to have doubled in in size from 2 to 4 million is pretty bonkers. Okay, yeah. It is basically the age-old question, which if you ever studied human geography, happens time and time again, is like, <laughs> ha- whether you include like just the city or the surrounding city, right. that's, that's where you get lots of different ones. So if we did just the city, they came up, it's actually now, it's more like 1.95 million. Fair enough. And that is from last year. This year, even. I forgot what year it was. Which puts you in front of the population of Birmingham by a fair margin. Because I got from the 2011 census, and that is the most up-to-date census, 1.86... No, (gasps) 1.086 million. So just over a million. (gasps) And even in the intervening eight years, I don't think that there have been enough... There's been enough growth to have almost doubled, yeah, to add (laughs) another million on. So I think that I'm happy to say that you've uh, you've beaten us. I am very pleasantly surprised. I honestly thought Birmingham would have had more people in than that. Okay, shall we quickly nip to the ad break? Excellent. So yeah, if you would like to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are Universal Adapter Podcast and you can follow us on Twitter. We are at UniAdapter. And if you want to subscribe, rate and review the podcast and earn our undying eternal affections, um, then you can do so on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you can rate and review every single episode, we'd really, really like you, but just an overall rating would be fantastic because it helps other people find the podcast. I agree with almost all of that, but I'm going to take exception to, what is it, undying affection? Because, yeah. I mean... I feel like my undying eternal affection is probably worth a little bit more than that. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't think that's selling our listeners short. But um, I've seen enough episodes of The Twilight Zone that making promises like that is how things end poorly. Oh. Oh, God, what have I just done? also send us an email to universaladapterpodcast at gmail.com. And now, shall we skip along to the best attraction. Excellent. So I've been saying this whole time that it's a French Canadian town. Ooh la la. So ooh la la. So obviously, what do you want to go see when you're in a French town? Baguette. To the see... Eiffel Tower. Oh, pick another one. Um, the Arc de Triomphe. Another one. The uh, Seine. The Notre Dame. Handbrake <laughs> of Notre Dame. Yeah. Les Mis. 
Oh, you you got it. It is okay. Notre Dame. What? But in Montreal. Yeah. That seems intriguing. Tell me more. Yeah, so it's the Notre Dame Basilica of Montreal. Uh-huh. A rating of 4.5 blobs on TripAdvisor. Fantastic. Um, so that's how I knew it was their best attraction. And I thought it was funny that their best attraction is just only 4.5. <laughs> oh no, poor Montreal. Um, which is funny because, um, yeah, I've heard it's such a very nice place to, to visit. Most people I know talk about the food scene there, and I guess that's quite... That doesn't really show off on attractions and TripAdvisor. <laughs> but yeah, it was it's one of the very early things built in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So it was built in 1657, so it, the town was only 15 years old when they decided to build this whopping great big church in the middle of it. Um, and it's uh, the first Gothic revival church ever built in Canada. Little bit of a twist. Uh, so instead of stained glass windows showing biblical scenes, instead they tell the religious history of Montreal. Uh-huh. Um which I think is quite cool. So it's also like, it's not just a religious building, it's also a very historical building. Because obviously back in the day, history was a lot more intertwined with the um, goings-on. Not history, was getting more intertwined. Well, history was just news at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, so religion was much more intertwined in the everyday lives of people. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting from that sense. Um, the Pope quite liked it. He visited in 1982. Oh, I mean, it took him 400 years, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say that's that's got to be the mark of a good Catholic building. If, uh, <laughs> if the church has, if the church, if the Pope has bothered to bothered to visit, yeah, and it seems to be quite the event. So you can either just go to a general admission and just pay a few dollars to go walk around, or mm-hmm. you can attend a service, or you can go see a light show. Ooh, yeah, which I think more churches should maybe invest in because that's when... piqued my interest in going to church. <laughs> When you say light show, do you mean just a bunch of a bunch of monks waving candles around, or are we talking like laser laser show? More on the laser side of things. Oh, so fantastic. the first half half star of the show, you walk around. They they just they highlight artworks of special interest and things like that. And the second half is the more lasers, bam, music, lights, whoa, dazzling sort of effect of just yeah, light being shone basically around this gigantic church. It looks Do you reckon cool. that they tell a biblical story in the lasers? Well, this is what I was wondering, because I tried to find out. But I, I think it's just lots of lights and music. Uh, but that's it, yeah. So there's cool. the, the Notre Dame Basilica of Montreal. All right. Well, up against the Notre Dame Basilica, I have, again, rated very highly on TripAdvisor. I think it had five blobs, in fact. So mm-hmm. apparently it's already better, but I'll let you decide <laughs> we have the birmingham back to backs now i don't know if you ever visited while you were in birmingham i certainly haven't and i've lived here for eight years wow anyway Crumbs. the best way to sum up the birmingham back to backs is that they are old bad houses they <laughs> are called back to backs because they are built like one on top of the other basically with a sort of a warren of alleyways and courtyards running in between them and back when Birmingham became a industrial centre obviously there were more and more people who were flooding into the city to try their hand at one of the thousand trades which Birmingham was famous for 
and obviously those people needed somewhere to live. So this was before the days of, you know, high-rise tenement blocks. So the houses were basically just built to try and fit as many as many houses as possible or as many rooms as possible in as short a space as, not as short a space, as small a space as possible. And it was in 1875 with the passing of a public health act that from that point on, no new houses were built. So even in 1875, which is not known for being hugely progressive about these sorts of things, but even they realised that, oh, maybe (laughs) if we gave people... I don't know, some space and a garden, then they might be happier and healthier. But they were listed and there's essentially a single courtyard which has been preserved and it's now managed by the National Trust and they're very small and they're only visitable by guided tour. So, And this was the only reason why anybody had rated it one blob was that you have to book several days in advance to go and see it so bear that in mind if you ever find yourself in Birmingham oh I don't think I don't think they can rate it lowly for their own personal poor organizational skills exactly yeah it it felt a little bit it felt like people were just disappointed in themselves and projecting that upon the <laughs> uh the attraction itself I hope you commented that on their um their review <laughs> I did not, but I huh? may pop back and just, uh, <laughs> you know, offer offer my free unsolicited advice. <laughs> Say a couple more things. That in the particular courtyard block that has been preserved, there were all sorts of different people that would have lived there, uh, all sorts of different craftspeople. So jewellers, people who drilled buttons, glass eye maker, all sorts of people. And... If you do decide uh, to come to Birmingham, you can go and visit the, you know, twisty stairs and experience firsthand a site the council in 1966 called Unfit for Habitation. (laughs) Which kind of... So so they stopped being... New ones stopped being made in 1875 and then it was in 1966 that the council put their foot down and they were like, not only are we not going to build any of these, we're going to tear a lot of them down and anybody who's living there at the moment we're going to move them out okay well it sounds like a much more grim version of the houses we lived in at university (laughs) yeah i guess that you could probably say about some places in selly oak the (laughs) student not the student village is perhaps too kind a term for it but the place where all the students live near uob uh Um. the university of birmingham for those uninitiated um (laughs) Yeah, you could Uh, probably say similar things about some of those houses as you could about the back-to-backs. Yeah, which is funny because I find myself talking about those terrace houses that we used to live in like quite a lot and how Mm -hmm. the funny layouts of them. Um, (laughs) So yeah, even though it wasn't quite as extreme as this, it feels like luxury now what I actually live in. (laughs) So I have a question for yourself, which is why do you think that there's a fascination for people as tourists and as visitors essentially you know spending their free time or their holidays even to go and visit places like this oh that's a very deep question i don't know i think lots of people like to go see things that aren't like necessarily if you actually thought about it weren't very nice at the time it actually caused quite a lot of suffering to a lot of people like Mm. you go to hadrian's wall 
these days, lovely day out. Take the dog, have a picnic. <laughs> Why not? Really, it's the sight of battles and mm-hmm. people dying and like an ongoing feud with people occupying a country that they didn't want them to be there. Um, and it's just, yeah, so it's a very bizarre thing. And I don't know, I wonder if it is just an element of time makes you forget these things and it just yeah. makes it a novelty. Yeah, maybe slightly to be like, oh, thank God we don't live like that anymore. But yeah, I think it's more just you sort of forget that they were people. Yeah, it just becomes a sort of unassociated set of people rather than actual, like, a human you could talk to Mm -hmm. in this day. Okay. That is a very well well thought out and thoughtful (laughs) answer. Thank you very much. (laughs) What were you going to say? No, it... I think I think I I agree wholeheartedly. I I wasn't really sure, which is why I wanted to why I wanted to ask because it's something that I particularly while I was studying for my degree, which is based a lot in Greek and Roman stuff, and sometimes pretty horrific stuff. You know, people get interested in the wars and the emperors. You know, Nero and Caligula, like those are famous historical figures that people find interesting to study but yeah when you get right down to it there's something kind of horrible at the heart of it and yeah. i was wondering if there if it was a similar a similar case in this case i think we live in a pretty as much as there's lots of things to mo- moan about i think we live <laughs> in a pretty cushy pocket of history um in terms of the grand scheme of things so yeah, yeah. We're doing all right. If ever you are looking around at current world leaders and you think, "Oh boy, this is bad," just remember, just have a just have a have a read about some of Caligula's uh, worst excesses, and I think we're all right. What <laughs> a wholesome message to end on. I like it, <laughs> and I think for that reason, the back-to-backs have they've kind of won my affection being in Birmingham as well. Um, but yeah, I think they're a fascinating little slice of history, which sort of the more I learn about, like, yeah, just housing across the world, like terrorist houses seem like a very uniquely British thing, hmm. and I really like that about them. Well, you know what isn't a uniquely Canadian thing? Notre Dame. Not tr- <laughs> they already did it. <laughs> I, was so, I was so positive about the fact that they named their city Montreal instead of... It's instead oh. of carrying over, importing their names from back home, but then they they imported the churches instead. Yeah, they just did a different tat. They just did a different tat. <laughs> Which brings us towards the end of the show with two points for the age and attraction to Birmingham and one point for population to yeah. Mont Riol. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. Um, It's been lovely. And I guess we will see you all in a couple of weeks for our 50th episode, which is very exciting. I can scarcely believe it. Um, Yeah, such a long time. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. Cool. We will be (laughs) in touch with you all with some details as to what exactly that will entail. And we'll speak to you all in two weeks. Bye. Bye.